0: Because of a class I took earlier this summer, I have been thinking quite a bit about the whole idea of attention. Attention. Everybody wants it. Authors, musicians, coaches, co-workers, your Facebook friends, your Twitter followers, your Instagram admirers, your family and friends, your young children, your aging parents all jostling for attention. But never forget, you own your attention. You get to choose how you allocate your attention. So the question becomes, what is deserving of our attention? The scripture that was read earlier by Jake, in that passage, we find Moses out in the desert, exiled from Egypt, tending sheep of his father-in-law. And as he tends sheep of his father-in-law, he realizes off to the side that a bush is burning, but not being consumed. We hear there in the third verse, Moses saying, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. This strange and great sight It's not right in front of Moses. It's off to the side. The transparency of God, it is there. The transcendence and presence of God shining through all things, it is right there. But Moses says, I must turn aside in order to see this strange sight and to give to it my attention. This turning aside our attention, it's what I'd like to invite us to spend some time thinking about together this day. It's what... That class that I participated in spend quite a bit time, a bit of time uh, concerning ourselves with. The three-week online class I participated in was titled Enchanting Faith in a Disenchanted World. The premise of this course was that the defining feature of our modern secular age is disenchantment, pervasive disbelief in the supernatural belief in god to say nothing of miracles angels and the power of prayer is increasingly difficult in our disenchanted age the impact of disenchantment is most clearly seen in our country in the rapid increase the rise in those who affiliate with the category of nuns those who self-identify as atheists, agnostic or really believing in nothing in particular, which research shows is approximately 23% of adults in our country at this time. Disenchantment is a great challenge facing the modern church. So let's sit for a minute with this idea of disenchantment and also enchantment, a disenchanted world is drained of magic, wonder, miracles, and God. It is a world that can be mastered and comprehended. Basically, it is the material world where what you see is what you get. An enchanted world is a world that is filled with wonder and awe and mystery. It's a world saturated with the presence of God and a belief in the supernatural. It's a way of seeing the world that is charged with the grandeur of God and the ability to pay attention to the wonder of a God who is present with us and a God who is at the center of it all. Disenchantment does not only affect the unbeliever. Enchantment is primarily, fundamentally about attention. It's learning to interpret experiences in a sacred way. I think we do this best in community with one another. It's it's talking together about what does it even mean to bump into God and what does a religious experience even look like? I'd like to share two helpful quotes that both address the idea of attention. The first being from Thomas Merton, as he addressed a group of Trappist monks. Merton says, life is this simple. We are living in a world that is absolutely transparent and God is shining through it all the time. This is not just a fable or a nice story, it is true. If we abandon ourselves to God and forget ourselves, we see it sometimes and we see it maybe frequently. God manifests himself everywhere in everything, in people and in things and in nature and in events. It becomes very obvious that he is everywhere and in everything, and we cannot be without him. You cannot be without God. It's impossible. It's simply impossible. The only thing is that we don't see it. And now from... Novelist, Marilyn Robinson. It has seemed to me sometimes as though the Lord breathes on this poor gray ember of creation, and it turns to radiance for a moment or a year or the span of a life. And then it sinks back into itself again, and to look at it, no one would know it had anything to do with fire or light. Whenever you turn your eyes, the world can shine like transfiguration. You don't have to bring a thing to it except a little willingness to see. The world is transparent to the presence of God, but we don't see it. And the world can shine like transfiguration, but it's gonna take a little willingness to see. I confess that for me personally, I have felt like I have been socked in a fog of disenchantment during much of this year. I don't know if any of you identify with that as well. I have discovered in the harshness of 2020, I've discovered my own disenchantment. Experiencing days where the hostile world feels drained of magic and miracles and my mash, as my rational mind absorbs the challenges of modern life. But then I keep discovering God showing up in some most unexpected way, experiencing moments from time to time where the world does feel alive with mystery and wonder beyond what the eye can see which causes me to think about my neighbor Brennan. I'd like to introduce you to my neighbor. Brennan, like many of us, has been looking for ways to connect with other people in the disorientation and isolation of this year. So we have had a journey together. Brennan is six years old. I'm pretty sure that Brennan, when he goes outside into his backyard, that he is listening for me because the minute I walk out my back door, actually not a minute, it's about a nanosecond when I exit out my back door, I immediately hear a robust, Miss Jill. Weeks ago, Brennan secured a chair that now permanently rests against our shared fence line. A portal to an outside world and the way that we have our chats. Our chats are often in the morning and they don't last very long. He shows me his new toys and his Lego creations. I've had to high five and fist bump a robot hand toy. He often tells me about what he ate for breakfast and he wants to hear about what I ate for mine. It's not unusual for him to mention his brother Landon, his little brother Landon, who by the way, he's also teaching the whole how you stand on a chair and have a chat with Miss Jill uh, idea of sharing life. Brennan wants to be a scientist and he has a whole lot of great ideas. I'm eager to see him work on his rain machine idea that he's thinking about, (laughs) wondering this weekend if he's putting it to the test. In time, besides the delight of spending time with my six-year-old friend, I am beginning to realize that what Brennan is bringing to me is the gift of helping me to see my surroundings in a new way, particularly my backyard. From his elevated perch, he looks out into my yard and likes to make commentary about what he sees. Whereas I am prone to see scorched grass and weeds that need to be pulled. Brennan thinks my backyard is fascinating. He brings my attention to the lizards. He waits with eager expectation for the return of bright yellow mushrooms to grow again in a potted plant. He inquires always about my thirsty plant. Brennan does not see a world that is drained of magic. His habits of attention are beginning to redirect mine, helping me to recover a sacramental wonder and to remember that the beauty, design and and creation of the natural world, that it points beyond itself to a creator who is everywhere present, filling all things, actively present in the cosmos. Awakening me to a one-story universe as blogger and podcaster Father Stephen Freeman refers to our world. Freeman gives to us a helpful metaphor of living in a one or two-story universe. It's as though, Freeman says, that the universe is a two-story house. We live here on earth on the first floor, where things are simply things and everything operates according to normal natural laws, where God lives in heaven upstairs, and is largely removed from the story in which we are living our everyday lives. It's this two story modern construct that we live with now where God seems to be absent from the first floor where we are living and we begin to wonder if there was anyone upstairs, even at home. Secularism does not deny that God exists, but rather states that God has his place and does not naturally affect other areas of our lives. It's a divided and compartmentalized world that greatly contributes to disenchantment. In the secular imagination, for God to show up, that would be something really unusual and miraculous. Freeman says we have to learn to practice faith in a one-story world because One of the most fundamental principles of the Christian view is the reality that God is present everywhere, filling all things. Or in the words of C.S. Lewis, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. I am experiencing more frequently a one-story, God-saturated world because of Brennan. The whole earth is full of his glory, is the testimony sung before God by the angels in Isaiah 6. We do not live in a world of mere matter. We live in a world filled with holy matter. We live in an altar. If only we have eyes to see. One way we enchant faith is widening what it means to encounter God. It doesn't have to always be or only be a burning bush experience. Friends, instead of going through the day operating as if God doesn't exist, how might we develop a greater sensitivity to noticing God in the boring the ordinary, the mundane, the hurry and stress of life. Which brings me back to the first day of that class I took. On the very first day, as we gathered together, right after we introduced ourselves to one another, we were given a re-enchantment assignment. Our professor wanted us to devote three weeks to some sort of practice that would re-enchant our faith to intentionally devote ourselves to that for three weeks. A whole lot of ideas were given. A few of them being you you could read, you could write, you could do artwork, you could read or write poetry, you could go on a prayer walk, you could walk the labyrinth, keep a gratitude list journal. And then our professor, Richard Beck, a psychologist, he began to talk about how we imprint our day. And he said that for for many of us, too many of us, the way we are imprinting our day when we wake up in the morning is we are reaching for our phone. And then we are looking at our phone, reading email, reading the world news too quickly, doing any of those things. And then when we do that, our amygdala fires. And it fires giving us a a stress reaction. Are we gonna fight, are we gonna flight? As we read news or read our newsfeed or our social media input that we are getting, if we read something disturbing, we are imprinting our day in such a way that we are gonna feel anxiety or we're gonna feel aggression toward whoever we feel like is messing up the world. Instead, the invitation was to imprint our day in a new and different way, in a better way. Can we spend a moment maybe doing a gratitude list or beginning the day in prayer? What I did for those three weeks is I practiced the examine, which Thomas led us in earlier this morning. I engaged in morning prayer, and instead of being in my normal space, which has now become quite functional for me, because it's the same space where I now spend my day in what feels like thousands of Zoom meetings every week. I went outside in the exam and morning prayer and changing my physical space. It re-enchanted my faith that week. An ongoing process, you bet. But I believe I have been sleeping better since then. And I am most especially living with more hope and with more peace and seeing miracles and wonders, including in you. This week, would you consider, or maybe throughout the rest of this month, selecting one practice to re-enchant your faith? Spiritual formation begins with attention. What can you devote your attention to that will cause you to have an enchanting faith. When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground.